What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is Emma Sasek's interview with the director for Cat Person, Susanna Fogel. Is that that guy Robert again? Listen, concession stand girl. Why don't you give me your number? Wait, you never said where he goes to school. I think he just works. Oysters, come on. He has cats. His eyes are nice. They crinkle. Yeah, because he's old. I think I really like him. As promised... I'm not saying I will have sex with him, but I think you would like it. Why are we having this conversation? He's a terrible kisser. Thank you so very much for chatting with me. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you about Cat Person. I I had the uh, pleasure to watch this at Sundance virtually from home. Um, and I was very happy to be able to rewatch it again and revisit it since it has been almost a whole year, which is crazy to think. Um, but for you, opening this film at Sundance, what was that environment like? If you were able to be there in person, what was the feedback? All of that fun, nerve-wracking stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was terrified going into it because the story is such a lightning rod for people. And mm-hmm. and I knew that because I've become very close to Kristen Rupenian and also just because I was aware in the culture that it was that. But then also hearing firsthand from her kind of how like explosively it hit the culture and how how strongly people reacted like to her personally telling mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that like for better or worse, there were going to be a lot of strong opinions. I was just, I was just overwhelmed. You know, you're you're a director, you're like behind the camera person. And then yeah. you're like, oh God, I'm gonna be in the hot seat for like everything I did the way that <laughs> was as <laughs> as the writer. But um yeah, I mean it was there's something about the story that really gets under people's skin, no matter what form it's told in. And that <laughs> makes it really exciting and also like terrifying to go into a public situation and be like, well, (laughs) what do you think? But, (laughs) But, you know, there were like people at that screening who were totally obsessed with the movie that didn't know the original story. There were people who were like, you know, I missed this or that from the story. There were, you know, men who appreciated that we dimensionalize Robert in the movie as opposed to the story, which is just Margot's projection of Robert. He's not really mm-hmm. a character um, in that way. So there were just all sorts. And then there were men who were like, who were like I didn't get it. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get the story. I didn't get the movie. So it's, it's, um, it was just the whole spectrum. You know, it's not the kind of movie that's straightforward in a way where like everyone kind of takes the same thing away from it. And so for that reason, it's just, it's like a real grab bag of, <laughs> of responses <laughs> wherever you go. And that could be exciting too. I mean, I think it's always interesting uh, as a critic myself when there are a number of different viewpoints or takes on a film, maybe as a director, it might be much more nerve wracking because, you know, you're presenting it as one way and hoping people understand it in the way that you have showcased it and broadcasted it. But then maybe it takes on a whole different life and legs of its own. It does. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always wanted to work on projects that are provocative. I don't mean for the sake of being provocative. I just mean, like, I think high risk, high risk, high reward projects are like 
they're, it's really energizing to feel like you're contributing something to a cultural conversation, whatever mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. um, instead of kind of just reiterating a thing that someone's done. So that was like very exciting for me with this movie, seeing a niche that I felt needed to be filled in the conversation around ideas of consent and dating. And, and the idea that this is not a story about a clear cut assault. It's a story about a consenting person who doesn't really feel you know, integrated into her idea of what she wants, even though the consent is technically happening. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's like a really important topic that we should discuss when we talk about ideas of of sex, because it's gotten really simplified into like, did she or did she not affirm, right? Give, give the yes. And then like, if she did, that's that, that's the end of the conversation. And I'm like, come on, there's a lot more going on <laughs> for both sides. Yes, absolutely. Um, and kind of with that whole point, um, as you mentioned, and you've you've been involved with so many great comedy projects, which I I love Book Smart. I know you were a co-writer with that. Uh, I know you directed The Spy Who Dumped Me. Um, and it's interesting to see this. While yes, there are still comedic elements with this film, it it does take on that more critical lens, a, a little bit more of a sinister look at modern dating. I'm curious, do you always try to balance a comedic aspect to any project that you're associated with, such as this one where, like I said, it has comedy, but it also does take on a a very serious topic that relates to so many different people. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that a character who's a character who has a sense of humor is always the kind of character that I want to follow into a story, Mm -hmm. whatever genre that story is. So a character who's funny and fun and gets the joke and is confident going into a romantic situation where they think they think they know a lot more about what they want than they do, or like they think they're more mature than they are, but they're, but, but not because they're like a naive victim with no agency. They're just a person. And that person is like a cool, funny person who is put in a context where we get to watch them Mm -hmm. kind of like, like flail a little bit. Um, Like I, I would rather watch that person a funny person in a dramatic or serious situation than a person who is always, always serious. It's like, I kind of want that like spice to, season <laughs> it, you know, um, yeah. I think that's, you know, I, I directed a, a series about the woman who hid Anne Frank's family in World War II called mm-hmm. Spite last, mm-hmm. that came out last summer on Disney plus and the character, the lead character, like was very funny. She was funny in her memoirs. She was funny about her husband and how she like wore the pants in the relationship. Like she, she was very, she's like a modern woman in terms of being a very funny woman. And mm-hmm. part of telling that story, which was, you know, there, there is like no darker story to tell was showing this woman who had the personality she had it, and she still took seriously the stakes of her life and her choices, but she still had a best friend, a husband, a sense of humor, a life, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think. I, I feel like people were able to like take in another Anne Frank story because it came through this lens of a person who's got like dem- a dimensional personality in that way. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I do try to put humor. Sometimes sometimes things like The Spy Who Dumped Me, it's like really leading with humor. Of um, course, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think it's, I do think it's a bit of a, I do think it's a bit of a secret weapon when it comes to just like helping people think about topics that, otherwise feel too dry or too, you know, pedantic or something. And definitely topics of 
sexuality and consent and romance, especially now, like everything is very heated and there's not a lot of room for like nuanced conversation. And so putting a, putting a character with like humor and warmth into that situation gives it a little bit more of a, a way in for people where they don't feel like they're watching, you know, a PSA or something. I was just about to say that I feel like there's more chance to really fully relate to that character because I mean, I could find many aspects of myself and Amelia when I was in college and, you know, thinking that, you know, everything that you want, thinking that you're the coolest girl, as we see with some of her conversations with Robert, um, and then really just realizing, oh, actually, I'm not sure about this. Is this really okay? And that does make it very easier, easier to digest and not be that PSA, as you just uh, mentioned. Yeah, we try to just, yeah, I just make to make everybody feel really relatable, which is something that Kristen's story did a really good job of. And I wanted to carry that torch well. Uh, as you mentioned, um, I was actually one of those people who didn't realize that this started out as a New Yorker article. I immediately read it after this just to see how closely the two followed each other. And um, up until when those that span of text messages that Robert sends, um, I was you know, very surprised to see pretty much this whole thing outlined and uh, obviously great source material for you and Michelle Ashford who adopted it. Did you two really get to collaborate on how far you wanted to take this movie, particularly uh, after the article ends and he sends those spans of text messages that really leads us into the third act of this film and uh, what Amelia Jones's character decides to do from that point on? You know, the that section of the script was part of the story when I, by the time I was hired and read it, it was, Michelle had chosen to take it in that direction. And what we did together was with that as the, with, with, with it as the jumping off point, the idea that like, we both agreed that we wanted to continue the conversation and tap into some of the like explosive anger around the story Mm -hmm. with a third act of the movie where, you know, men who felt that their experiences and interior life and feelings were not really taken into account in the story as though that's, as though that's Kristen's responsibility. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) Um, You know, like men who were like, but what about Robert's feelings? And what about, why are you body shaming Robert and Robert, Robert, Robert? It's like, we, so many people were so like incensed about that, that that became a really interesting thing to study in the adaptation. Like if we were to have Robert's side of the story it doesn't it's not it doesn't have to be any more right than anything like it it doesn't have to be a side of the story that we empathize with it doesn't have to be a a justification for anything he does but what would he say if he was asked what what is his experience in like the Rashomon of this dating situation that they had Mm -hmm. Um, we were curious about that and to show how unbelievably different their perceptions were and their experiences were of the sex it shows the gap that 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 like that gulf that existed between them the whole time. So, yeah, I mean, like really delving into that was something Michelle and I talked about. So we were like, okay, so we want to show that side. We want to show how far apart they were. We also want to ask the question of is is that person that sends that toxic message a da- a danger, or are they just a danger in that, or are they just in the comfort of their house, their most toxic, angry moment after a few drinks is sending this message, but they would never hurt a fly. Or, or do you believe 
you know, or, or are you a young woman who works in a movie theater selling tickets to slasher movies where women are constantly getting killed and you're like, oh God, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Like, I don't want to be naive about what this means. And do those narratives and the campus conversations now around like toxic masculinity lead you to feel like you have to save yourself from something and what are you saving yourself from? And do you kind of like manifest that, manifest that monster in the process? Um, so I don't know, we, we were, we all thought that that was really fertile ground to add, add on, not that this, as a, as a short story, it, it ended in a perfect place, but as a movie, we wanted it to ask some of those questions. And we also wanted to ask the question of, you know, what, what happens, you know, when, like what happens between two people who have like had this, this ending and then they have to kind of deal with each other. Like they, mm-hmm. what happens if they have to, like avoidance is her tactic, but what happens when, and it leads to like a very angry, like period at the end of the sentence of the short mm-hmm. story. But what happens mm-hmm. if that angry person, what happens if you have to sit with that angry person and talk about what happened and actually like hear their side of it and that part was inspired by Michelle, the writer. Um, she was in a car accident and she ended up traveling to the hospital in an ambulance with the person who hit her car. Mm. And they were like yelling at each other about whose fault it was in the ambulance, but they were also like strapped to stretchers in an ambulance, like bleeding and having to talk about it in this brutally honest way. And they ended up kind of reaching some sort of a, not a truce, but like they had, they, they had to kind of like reckon with each other as people in this situation. And and that inspired her to do something like that here. Hey, it's Spanish. And it's Verlaine. And we are Game Fix. Hey, where are you going to get the latest video game news and reviews? Anywhere on the internet. No, no, no. Where, where are you going to get unfiltered opinions, brutal truths, and pretty much things nobody has the balls to say? Ah, then my friend, you're talking about us, the Game Fix podcast. Damn right I am. If you want to join us for our takes on gaming news, honest gaming reviews, and celebrity interviews. Oh, we're doing this rhyming thing? Well, then get on your shoes. We'll eliminate your blues. Hey, you might end up with some really heavy clues. No, no. Find our podcast on iTunes or our website at GameFixShow.com. Hey, maybe video games aren't your thing. I was a loser once, too. We talk movies, comics, toys. To convince you that everything that we just said is true, here's Duke Nukem. Cheers, love. The Calvary's here. No, 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 no. The other line, man. Take it from me, Duke Nukem. Either listen to the Game Fix podcast or go f*** yourself. I don't really care. Whoa! Whoa. Wow, I never would have thought that that situation would have brought something like this to life. I know, she's like, well, I really hated that person because they like hit my car and I injured, <laughs> so I was yelling at them, but they're also they're also scared for their life and going to the hospital. And yeah. Like, also like on the verge of you know, we're like two people who feel really vulnerable in a car together after we like were yelling at each other on the street. So that was interesting for her. And what what would you say if you were trapped in a house with someone you desperately wanted to avoid? Yeah, it's it's really interesting just to examine humanity in its best and worst moments because you really don't know what side you might get of a person. As we see in this film, we think that Robert is is fine. Maybe there are some, you know, weird red beige whatever color flags here and there that you Uh, see in him um but then you get that that nasty chain of messages at the end and you think is he really showing his true colors right now i i kind of think so um so it's always very fascinating to dive into those depths of humanity and and connection and especially with relationships 
Yeah. And also like the idea of the true colors, and I'm not saying this in any way to justify the text, but like, what is the most extreme thing you could say when you were the absolute angriest? Like, what is the angriest text message you've ever sent somebody who like hurt your feelings? Mm-hmm. And, and what is that? And what is the relationship between the content of that text message and like what you would do in the real world if you saw yeah. that person? Like, yeah. is it just like, I said this text, it was so angry and vitriolic. If someone like gave me a gun, no, I'm not going to shoot my ex-boyfriend with it. You know, like it mm-hmm. just, it's such a different thing, but you can really conflate the two because of how, how scary it is to be a woman getting like any sort of aggression from a six foot seven man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> even, if, even if that man feels like the victim, like just as like women carry around like a sense of fight or flight at all times, like men don't necessarily internalize a sense of their own power when they go around feeling that when they feel like the woman has all the power, they don't realize their own sort of in, impact on a woman's con- like subconscious mind, you know? Right. Right. Um, I know I'm, I'm sure I'm reaching the end of my time with you, but um, I would really love to know how Amelia Jones and Nicholas Braun were selected for this film because they both are fantastic and give off all of the vibes that you would need for this type of film, which I think is a true testament to them as actors. Um, I just would love to know, did you know going into this that that's possibly who you or Michelle saw fitting these roles? How did all of that work out? Um, You know, actually, I wasn't aware of Amelia when we first started putting the movie together because Mm. it was, movies take a long time to come together. And it was like, pandemic, early pandemic that we were starting to work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, in, fact, I, in fact, I got this job right before the pandemic began. So it was it was early and it was sort of a thing where it's like, you know more about what you don't want until you see the thing that is what you want. And mm-hmm. with this, it's like when you make any independent movie, anyone who's investing millions of dollars in a movie wants to like mitigate the risk. And so the instinct is always to try to cast the most famous people that you can get. And mm-hmm. at least for like American movies. And with this movie, that just seemed like to do that would be actually to like bludgeon the nuance and specificity of of who these characters have to be. Mm-hmm. Like Margot is not like a Margot can't be like a model turned actress who doesn't look like she would fit in in a normal campus. Like she cannot be that, or it just changes, it changes every little thing. It makes it look like she's flirting with Robert because she's manipulative, because that's what people will think if she presents herself a certain way. Not that that's right, but you know, there's certain actresses where you're like, if that person just showed up on a campus, you'd be like, who's that actress, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so we didn't want that. Um, And so there are certain kind of like famous, more like superstar celebrity types that just felt like they would like start to dominate people's perception of what the movie's about in a Mm way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on Nick's side of things, and so then when Amelia came along and was kind of getting some attention off of Coda, she felt perfect for it. One, because she was the right age. She actually Mm -hmm. was 18 and you're like, she looks, she looks really young and she's the age of Margot. So I'll remember that Margot was really young, you know? Um, (laughs) and what that really looks like. Um, and then for Nick, for Nick's part, um, you know, he's, I really wanted Robert to be, I wanted an actor that men like, that they feel like they like so that he could be, do really bad things. And they would, um, I don't want to say like, I wanted to lure them into relating with Robert, (laughs) but on some level, it's like, if he just seems like a cartoon villain or someone that men don't like, they're going to just not think that their story is about them. For sure. And if they, if they're like, I love succession, like cousin Greg, I love him. (laughs) 
my impression of a man talking. Um, if they do that, like then they can think that he's being a loser, but they're more apt to be comfortable letting themselves relate to him a little bit. And then mm-hmm. if there's certain things that he does that they can like recognize in themselves or that make them cringe with a little bit of, oh, I've been there. I've been that Robert guy in one in one hookup or whatever in my life that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the that's like the impact that the story that this movie can have, I think. So mm-hmm. it was really important to find like a a likable guy's guy who we could then fashion into Robert. And they're they're truly awesome together. They have great chemistry in, in many moments. And then of course, not so great chemistry in some other parts, but they just play off each other so well. So it was a joy to see them teamed up with this one. Oh, good. Yeah, they had a great time. They got along really well. And it was, I mean, it's such a, despite the moments of extreme discomfort in the viewing experience of the movie, we had a great time making it. Um, And there was something really communal about the experience of making it because so many people relate to the story that, like, for instance, when we're shooting the sex scene, Mm -hmm. there were so many, there were so many crew members and, you know, that like, volunteered their own story like stories anecdotes like oh my god do you know what one guy said to me once do you know what happened to me what like it's like the kind of thing that like campfire stories are made of is like who's had what experience yeah yeah and so that made us feel like it was really energizing because we're all like oh like we're all telling the story together like around the campfire that's Mm -hmm. what we're doing here and that felt that felt I think good you know it, it made it feel like the, the mission was like noble that we were there to do in spite of the awkward choreography of the actual scene. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> well, Susanna, thank you so very much again for chatting with me. I know that our time is up, but it's been a huge, huge pleasure to be able to learn a little bit more about this movie and nice to hear the fun that you had on it. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Emma Sasek's interview with the director for Cat Person, Susanna Fogel, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Cat Person will open in New York City and Los Angeles on October 6th and expand to theaters nationwide on October 13th. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to. 
but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.